Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Call it a personal bias, but the field of obstetrics and gynecology is the best. This is Clinical Pearls. Maternal sepsis seems to be increasing. Maternal sepsis is a significant cause of maternal morbidity and mortality. In this session, we're going to cover the latest publication from the Society of Maternal Fetal Medicine from 2019 covering sepsis during pregnancy and dupuparium. Recent U.S. data report that maternal sepsis complicates 4 to 10 per 10,000 live births. Sepsis continues to be associated with significant mortality. Confidential inquiries into the maternal death and morbidity report in the U.K. found that sepsis accounted for one quarter of all maternal deaths. In the U.S., there's been a 9% annual increase in sepsis as the maternal cause of death from 2001 up until the latest count of 2010, and the rate of sepsis still seems to be increasing. Nulliparity, black race, and public or no insurance have been identified as risk factors for pregnancy-associated sepsis. In addition, obstetric risk factors including cesarean section, prolonged labor, chorioamnionitis, are all known to be risk factors for developing maternal sepsis. More than 50% of the women who die from sepsis have one or more chronic comorbid conditions. And these things are like chronic renal disease, chronic liver disease, or congestive heart failure. Now, sepsis, remember, is not a specific illness. Rather, it's a syndrome that encompasses a still uncertain pathobiology. In 2016, the third international consensus definition for sepsis and septic shock defined sepsis as a life-threatening organ dysfunction caused by a dysregulated host response to infection. So let's say that again. Sepsis and septic shock is a life-threatening organ dysfunction caused by dysregulated host response to infection. Now, here's a clinical pearl. Although multiple definitions of septic shock are currently in use, septic shock can be identified within a clinical construct of sepsis with persistent hypotension requiring vasopressors to maintain mean arterial pressure greater than 65 millimeters of mercury and a serum lactate that's greater than 2 despite adequate volume resuscitation. Organ dysfunction may be objectively defined as an acute increase of two or more points in the sequential organ failure assessment score called the SOFA score. Again, that's the sequential organ failure assessment score or the SOFA score. 
The SOFA assessment tool can be easily found online. To assist in the evaluation of suspected sepsis, a brief bedside assessment tool, which is called the Quick SOFA score, has been introduced into clinical practice. The Quick SOFA score evaluates the presence of three clinical criteria, and here they are. Systolic blood pressure less than 100, a respiratory rate greater than 22, and altered mental status. If two or more of these criteria are present, the patient is at increased risk of poor sepsis-related outcomes. Again, those were a systolic blood pressure less than 100, a respiratory rate greater than 22 per minute, and altered mental status. Let's hold on for just a minute because we have to make two big distinctions here that are really two big clinical pearls. The first is that the quick SOFA score does not define sepsis. Rather, it's a rapid method of identifying those patients at high risk of developing severe complications who require more aggressive therapy. And the second clinical pearl is that fever is neither necessary nor sufficient to determine whether sepsis is present. So let's make sure to say that again. Fever is neither necessary nor sufficient to determine whether sepsis is present. This is a good place to take a quick break, and we're going to come back. Let's talk about how the clinical features of sepsis differ in pregnancy and the specific pathophysiology of maternal sepsis. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. None of the existing definitions of sepsis account for the physiological alterations of normal pregnancy. When non-pregnant norms are used, either overdiagnosis or underdiagnosis of sepsis may occur in the maternal patient. Now, of the SOFA criteria, those most affected by pregnancy are creatinine and the mean arterial pressure. The SOFA score assigns a point value above zero once serum creatinine reaches 1.2, but this level is well above the upper limit of normal in a regular pregnancy. Additionally, the SOFA considers a mean arterial pressure less than 70 abnormal, but in mid-pregnancy, remember, this can be okay. So, to make up for this discrepancy between non-pregnant and pregnant patients, the Society of Obstetric Medicine Australia and New Zealand came up with a different guideline. That's called the SOMANS. Again, that stands for the Society of Obstetric Medicine Australia and New Zealand, S-O-M-A-N-Z. The SOMANS guidelines include modifications to lab components when applying the SOFA score to pregnancy, including a point value above zero for a creatinine greater than 90 micromoles per liter or a value greater than 1.02. So what's the takeaway here? SOFA is not perfect or ideal in pregnancy, and some have even criticized the SOMANS guidelines. 
Others recommend using the evaluation of the sepsis in obstetric score as the best way to try to find out who's at greatest risk of a sepsis-related complication. A prospective validation study of the sepsis and obstetric score found that a score of 6 or greater had a sensitivity of 64%, specificity of 88%, and a positive predictive value of 15%. But the value was that the negative predictive value was 99%, meaning that those who did not have that score were not at highest risk of having a sepsis-related severe complication. All right, well, now that we've covered that, let's take a look at the pathophysiology of sepsis. Sepsis results from a dysregulated host response to infection, resulting in organ damage and virtually any organ system can be affected. The excessive inflammatory response that occurs with sepsis includes extravasation of albumin in fluid with resultant intravascular hypovolemia. Cytokine release leads to decreased systemic vascular resistance and increased cardiac output, although up to 60% of patients with sepsis have an ejection fraction below 45%, signifying additional systolic dysfunction. Septic cardiomyopathy may also manifest with diastolic dysfunction because of cardiac edema and diminished compliance. Tissue ischemia and dysfunction results not only from hypotension, but also secondary to microvascular occlusion from microthrombi because of disseminated intravascular coagulation. Well, how do we get here in the first place? I mean, what are some of the common etiologies of sepsis in pregnancy? Well, they're different based on when the episode occurs. Antepartum cases of sepsis are most commonly non-pelvic in origin, while intrapartum and postpartum cases are more likely to have a pelvic or intrauterine source. In 16% of cases, according to a publication, neither the inciting organism nor the source of sepsis can be identified. These figures are consistent with the overall experience of sepsis in the general adult population in which blood cultures are negative in two-thirds of patients and cultures from all sites are negative in one-third. Again, that's a clinical pearl. Even in those with clinical evidence of sepsis, blood cultures can be negative in two-thirds of patients and all cultures can be negative in up to one-third. The most common isolated organism in maternal sepsis is E. coli and group A and B, streptococcus, although staph, gram-negative, and anaerobic bacteria and many other organisms have also been reported. So here's yet another clinical pearl. Because blood cultures can be negative in up to two-thirds of patients, it is recommended that empiric broad-spectrum antibiotics be administered as soon as possible and ideally within one hour in any pregnant woman in whom sepsis is suspected. In addition to antibiotics, fluid resuscitation should be part of the initial intervention if hypotension or hypoperfusion is present. Fever, venodilation, and capillary leakage all lead to inadequate preload in the pregnant woman with sepsis. The Surviving Sepsis Campaign recommends an initial bolus of 30 ml per kilo of crystalloid, but this recommendation may be overly aggressive in pregnancy in which colloid oncotic pressure is lower and the risk of pulmonary edema is higher. 
only about 50% of hypertensive septic patients are fluid responders. In those who are not, aggressive fluid administration may produce third spacing, leading to left ventricular diastolic dysfunction from ventricular wall edema, as well as pulmonary edema, cerebral edema, bowel edema with increased intra-abdominal pressure, and all of these can lead to higher mortality. So, while fluid resuscitation is vital and part of the initial resuscitation, it also must be watched carefully. In most pregnant women, initial administration of 1 to 2 liters of crystalloids is reasonable. Static measures of preload like central venous pressure or pulmonary arterial occlusion pressure are actually poor predictors of fluid responsiveness and should not be used to guide fluid therapy. All right, Clinical Pearls listeners, what do you do with a patient who's been fluid resuscitated and they're not responding? I got to tell you, I've been there and that's a scary clinical picture. In hypotensive patients who are not fluid responders or who are not candidates for further fluid resuscitation, like women who may be in pulmonary edema, vasopressor should be utilized to increase blood pressure. The purpose of vasopressors is to constrict the pathologically dilated systemic circulation and maintain adequate perfusion. Current guidelines recommend norepinephrine as a first-line agent with a mean arterial pressure that should be kept at or above 65 millimeters of mercury. Yet another clinical pearl. Providers should not hesitate to administer norepinephrine to aseptic pregnant women when it's indicated. Now, for example, this is when hypotension is refractory to fluid therapy. The evidence regarding the use of other vasopressors, however, like vasopressin, is much more limited because there's a theoretical interaction of vasopressin with oxytocin receptors that's been hypothesized but not really proven. So for now, the first line, as we've already mentioned, has been norepinephrine, so we should try to stick to norepi. Well, what about delivery? Well, the presence of sepsis alone is not an immediate indication for delivery, except in cases of chorioamnionitis. The decision to deliver the fetus should be individualized and will depend on, of course, the gestational age as well as the maternal and fetal condition. Now, in most cases, resuscitation improves maternal hemodynamics and this results in improved uroplacental perfusion and therefore improved fetal condition. Delivery should be reserved for the usual obstetric indications after stabilization of the woman. There is no evidence that delivery improves maternal outcomes, again, except in the case of chorioamnionitis. Now, if the uterus is found to be the source of the infection, delivery, of course, is indicated. Involvement of neonatology, anesthesiology, and critical care consultants is fundamental. Corticosteroids for fetal lung maturity are not contraindicated and may be used in septic patients if they're indicated, regardless of the use of hydrocortisone for refractory septic shock. So we have to say that again. Corticosteroids for fetal lung maturity are not contraindicated in the septic patient. Now remember that even though delivery may not be indicated for non-pelvic, meaning non-uterine cases, preterm delivery may still follow a septic event. Preterm delivery is common after critical maternal illness, including sepsis, even when the source is not the uterus. There is consistent with the pathophysiology of sepsis in which inflammatory mediators are released systemically, causing preterm delivery cascade to occur. 
Among women with a non-pelvic source of bacteremia in the antepartum period, about 12% have been noted to miscarry, 33% will be delivered soon after the onset, and the remainder can deliver between one week and seven months after onset. So remember, just because the patient is stabilized doesn't mean they're out of risk of preterm delivery because cases have been published where the woman has actually gotten better but still gets triggered into preterm delivery about a week up to seven months after the initial onset of sepsis. Bacteremia during pregnancy was associated in one published study with a 29% risk of preterm delivery and an overall fetal mortality rate of up to 10%. All right, podcast family, we're at the end of our session. Remember that among the studies of sepsis-related maternal mortality, some clear patterns emerge. Among women who died from sepsis, a majority had a delay in care and a delay in escalation of care. Most were afebrile, possibly delaying the recognition of the presence of sepsis. Even after diagnosis, 73% of women were started on antibiotics that provided inadequate coverage. With publication of the Surviving Sepsis Guidelines, the early involvement of consultants with expertise in infectious disease disease, as well as critical care physicians, may expedite treatment of sepsis and help improve overall outcomes. Thanks for being a part of our podcast. The reference for this session is the Maternal Fetal Medicine publication on sepsis during pregnancy and the puparium. That is SMFM console series number 47. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls. <music>